Hello and welcome to Binging Bridgerton, our continuing series about watching Bridgerton on Netflix. My name is Amrita and I am joined as usual by Beth. Hi Beth. Good morning everybody. And by Manish from the It Pod to Be You podcast from Talk Film Society. Hi Manish. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm very, very excited to be here. Thank you so much for coming on. I mean, uh, so Manish, your podcast is about rom- romantic comedies on the big screen. Like you talk about everything from classics to uh, current hits. Um, so just as we start off, I just wanted to ask, uh, were you aware of Bridgerton before it blew up? Like, did you know that this was coming? No. I Well, I knew that Shonda Rhimes had made this deal with Netflix and that it was like one of the biggest deals. So I was very, I was really excited to see what she could come up with uh, because she's so famous for like network shows like Grey's Anatomy, of course, and Private Practice. But um, oh, and How to Get Get Away with Murder. But I was excited to see what she could do with streaming with a little bit more money and more freedom to you know show stuff and have language and stuff that she couldn't do on <laughs> ABC. So. I didn't. Um, I hadn't heard of the series of novels um, until the show came up, and uh, once it started to become this like viral thing, I piqued my interest immediately. I mean, everyone was talking about it and still talking about it, so I was just excited to be along for the ride and to uh, check it out. Yeah, so, um, I mean, you can take this with a pinch of salt because uh, Netflix is notoriously unreliable in their uh, statistics, but they're saying that 63 million households Mm. watched this, um, you know, in its premiere week. So it is definitely a hit for Shonda Rhimes and for Netflix. So they haven't announced anything about the second season, but I'm pretty sure that we're going to get a second season. Um, They're not going to let go of this that easily. Um, Okay, so let's talk about episode three. Beth, what happens in this episode? I think the number one thing in this episode is the prince shows up. And the prince is from Prussia. He's the queen's nephew and is handsome. And everyone is swooning and pretending to faint in the case of Cressida. Cressida. But he, of course, sets his sights on Daphne. And it's hard to imagine um, a better match for her than him. We also have Eloise, who is uh, Daphne's sister, and she's, I think she's just like really angry about how little she can do as a woman, especially, you know, she wants to write and do all these things and get rich on her own. And uh, she's just really (laughs) bristling under, you know, the conventions of the time and what she's allowed to do as a woman. I think she really resents having to rely on a man to get married to to have the life that she wants do either of you feel that eloise uh has been the actor who plays her has been directed to stomp into the scene clench her fists and say (laughs) i can't do anything i'm a woman and then stomp back out again (laughs) (laughs) she basically had the same like line for every scene she was in in episode three i was like uh I was like, I get it. I think Eloise and Penelope are definitely the younger sisters. And as such, you know, there's a maturity level um, that they're trying to portray, you know, a difference between Daphne and Eloise. But the thing is, like, I think as the series progresses, and we'll talk about this later, 
uh, Penelope sort of becomes slightly more mature and you can see that she's sort of pulling away from Eloise and I think that kind of adds to how uh, vulnerable Eloise feels but uh, yeah you're right she is very immature all throughout this episode um, and not in an endearing way. It's a little frustrating that they put the the you know modern values in the mouth of someone so yes annoying yeah. <laughs> right and talking about people who are annoying uh anthony is waltzing through this episode being super duper annoying like he does all sorts of annoying things um the most annoying thing that he does is he keeps repeatedly screwing up sienna's life like she's all on her own she's trying to hustle and lead her own life and there's anthony showing up um and doesn't seem to understand that she's not like his sister he's he understands that he's not she's not like his sister and that she's not a lady but he doesn't seem to understand that she has a livelihood and that that depends upon men just the same as his sisters except in some very fundamentally different ways in that she needs a man to pay for her life and Anthony has just abandoned her and now he's sort of interfering with her uh, efforts to find another man to be her protector. Elsewhere in the ton we have Marina still knocked up still without a someone to pin it on who's legit and so Lady Featherington takes her to visit a working class area to show her this is what your life will be if you don't get married right away and Marina sort of paints the, but these are just honest working people. It's not so bad. And you're like, oh, <laughs> it's going to be bad. But we have to remember that she's from, question mark, more rural area. We don't really know. So she is going to have a different impression of what working class life is like. But I, I suspect her impression is more rural and therefore perhaps slightly less squalor filled than what she would see in London. And what we saw is also not that bad compared to what we know is happening in 19th century London, but the scare tactic doesn't really work. Yeah, and then uh, Mrs. Featherington um, is revealed to... I guess I'm a little confused. So she's, like, faking the letters to Marina, right? And Yeah. Um, and basically lying about Marina's suitor and just... Um, Essentially just trying to keep her so that she can, so that Marina will have to marry someone rich and just be, and I guess bring money back to the Featherington house. Right. I mean, Mrs. Featherington is not doing this out of altruistic, um, you know, right. uh, feelings, but she is doing it because if... Because Marina is her ward, if she is revealed to be pregnant to the rest of society, the blowback is going to come on her family as well. Yeah, right, right. So she doesn't really want that either. Um, and so we come to Daphne and Simon, who have the major arc throughout this episode, and they are just flirting up a storm, which brings <laughs> me to my big question. Um do you guys believe Daphne and Simon as a couple in this episode? Manish, what about you? Yes and no. Um, yes, in that I think the characters have a lot of chemistry. Um, and, you know, I think they've done a pretty um, good job of, 
you know, they, they, you know, they're doing that, you know, rom-com trope of like pretending to date and then they actually fall in love. And it's believable when they look at each other that, you know, they are having these feelings and, you know, when, when they're flirting and I mean, some of the stuff they're flirting about, I'm like, wow, I did not expect this to be what they're talking about, but um, I was a little scandalized, Uh, but it was, but I also feel like I'm not sure, like, I don't, I don't know if I buy them as like friends or like people who have things like, aside from it being like two hot people who are like walking around talking about sex with each other, I don't see the relationship. Like, I don't see it surviving when they're, like, 45. You know what I mean? What about you, Beth? Yeah, I agree. I think I said this in our last episode. I believe their love more when they're separate than when they're together. Because he's got to box out his feelings and she's got to, you know, do what she's going to do, which we can talk about more later. But I don't quite buy it, especially... I guess she kind of conveys some of the, you know, this is her first romance. And so she's maybe a bit taken away by that in general as a... 16 or 18 year old or whatever might be but I don't feel the sort of specificity of anything building in there and I totally agree with Manish that when they're 40 something this is gonna be it's gonna be a lot harder so I was thinking about like what we were talking about in a previous episode about the um about the chemistry between the two people and uh going back to what Manish was saying about them just walking around talking about sex let's talk about that particular scene because I think it excited a lot of attention online as well. So essentially what happens is that um, uh, Daphne has no idea about sex and as you know do uh, none of the young ladies on this show and um, Daphne decides that she and Simon are sufficiently good friends for her to ask him um, intimate questions. And so she asks him about the baby making process and he gives her a tip about uh, exploring herself in the bedroom. Um, Manish, how did that scene go for you? I'm just so confused because like, so I did not watch this show. Like I'm watching, like I only got up to episode four um, and Uh for this podcast. So like, Everything I've heard about this show, I'm like, oh, this show is so sexy. There's so there's so much sex in it, whatever. And I'm like, great, this is exactly what I need in like a, almost a year into lockdown. Um, but I'm like, <laughs> like there's hardly any sex in it in these first four episodes. So when they get to that part, I'm like, I want to see them like rolling around in some like halt, like some room or whatever. And it's like, I just, I'm also just like, I, I really don't believe that like women at that time had no idea like they didn't talk amongst themselves about like I don't know because I'm like to me as a modern viewer I'm like it's so unbelievable that she's never even thought to do that <laughs> and uh but then I also I don't know because yeah. like I mean yeah. Yeah, I'm not I'm no historian right so and it also feels like <laughs> it always creeps me out when there's a a show about a man telling a woman how to like pleasure herself because mm. I'm like um like it just seems like here, little lady, let me teach you how to know your body. When it's like, I'm sure she knows it. Like, I, 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 I understood what they were going for. And, like, you know, the actor is very, he's very hot. So, like, I can believe it. I can, like, put myself into the show and be like, okay, this is supposed to be sexy because, like, 
you know, he's like breaking this boundary between them, right? But it didn't work for me, except I had to like do a lot of the work to make it work for me. You know what I mean? Yeah. So for me, it actually did work. And the reason I think it worked is because entirely because of the actor. Yeah. Because there are a bunch of different ways that that scene could have gone. It could have gone the way that, you know, they could have been creepy. It could have been sort of salacious. Um, Except, you know, like the way Simon says it to Daphne, he is, first of all, a bit taken aback that she doesn't know what masturbation is. And the second thing is that he tells her and the way that he's doing it is almost from a position of authority, which both took me aback, but also when I thought about it, it made sense to me because Daphne lives in the society where everything depends upon the permission of men in authority. So she has been raised in a system and she believes in a system i mean of all her sisters especially between her and eloise she is definitely the more conventional sister uh and she is definitely not a rebel in any way shape or form um she is very much a part of upholding the patriarchy and i don't think she even like thinks about it in those terms i mean uh these are very modern terms that i'm using uh, which i don't think really work when you're when you apply those to like you know historical settings um, but basically Daphne takes that, I feel, as permission and it allows her to, I mean, it not only gives her new information, but it gives her permission to act upon that information, which uh, she takes liberally. I think that part of why, how crushed she is at the end of this episode when he says, we can't do this anymore. I, you know, I'm a rake, I'm leaving, you're on your own to deal with this, you know, marriage market nonsense. And it's partly because of the involvement of Anthony, our favorite, you know, disruptor. Um, But I think that that's also partly why this is so hard for her, because she's been having romantic fantasies about him already. And then she learns some about her own self-pleasure. And then, and then he leaves. And so the person that was the, the center of both aspects of that is suddenly gone and also is really cold to right. her when he leaves. Right. It's not just like, I'm sorry, this isn't working. I got to go. He's like, no, we've never been friends. This was all a bad idea. Bye. Right. To me, that ending, it was more convincing to me of their chemistry and the, and their romance than mm-hmm. any of their flirting and walking <laughs> around and almost touching because it's just like, it's so cold to her and you can also from him get the sense that like he is does not want to be doing that but like he has to so by the end of episode three i was i was like hey i'm actually on board for this romance because like this is crushing both of them in ways that they don't even they can't even recognize in each other and uh, i mean i like your take on that scene um but i also am just like it didn't just felt weird um partially because I think I'm just like I'm not I don't really like either of those characters um I like I mean I guess it's <laughs> I guess it's more that I like the other characters better and I find them more interesting yeah you know Daphne because yeah. because Daphne also has her moments of like I'm not I mean we'll get to this in the next episode but she also has her moments of like you know I'm not property or I'm not you know I can make my own choices so it's like 
I, I, I feel like she's going back and forth between that, which I guess it's realistic, you know, but it also just feels like I can't get a handle on, like, who's, I can't get a handle on, like, how much she's, like, um, willingly playing into this marriage market and how much she's, like, resenting it. Right. And also, uh, I mean, if you're going to be talking about Simon and Daphne and masturbation, we have to talk about the spoon scene, right? Yeah, yeah. So, um, Simon and uh, Daphne, on one of their dates, they go to Gunter's, which is, uh, in Regency Romance, Gunter's, everyone talks about Gunter's, which was this ice cream parlor, because ice cream was a novelty, I suppose. And... um, uh, Simon is really into his ice cream. <laughs> he, he really <laughs> likes ice cream, you guys. Um, and you can see, I, I mean, that scene for me, I mean, it was played for laughs, but also for heat, I suppose. But it's really funny to me to watch Daphne watch Simon like a spoon. <laughs> because, um, I mean, she doesn't know anything, does she? Like, she, like all the... Um, it really plays with the audience's understanding of oral sex, but like also like Daphne's ignorance of it. So Daphne has a look on her face as if like she's just seen something and she doesn't know what it is, but she's incredibly turned on by it. But like the audience understands more than Daphne does at that point. Right, right. Um, which just, you know, it's just layers upon layers. And I thought that was a clever bit of... Uh, filmmaking but um, let's talk about some of the other things that we cover in this episode Uh, specifically I wanted to talk about how it's showing all these different women Manish a little while ago you talked about Eloise and about how Eloise is um, mad about how she's not allowed to have a life Um, but we also have Sienna who chooses to or perhaps you know was forced into we are not exactly sure um, but Sienna is a self-made woman. She is living a life in the arts. She's a very talented singer. She's living by her talent in a way that Eloise uh, wishes to, but doesn't really understand. Is that fair to say? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Because what I find really interesting about Eloise, especially in contrast to Sienna, is like... Um, in some ways, I kind of love how annoying Eloise is because it's showing this, like, hypocrisy or this, like, <laughs> naivete of these, like, the supposedly, you know, smart sister is um, regarding, like, actual, you know, like, real life and how she's lived, like, she's living in this, like, fantasy of, like, oh, I wish I could be self-made and do all this stuff, but then, like, we see Sienna who's actually living that life and it's really hard for her, you know? I mean, as much as self-reliant as she is, she's getting tossed around by a rich guy and has to, you know, make all these compromises in her life. And this is something that Eloise would never even consider. And, like, we'll see a lot of her own, um, you know, like, short-sightedness, I guess, in the next episode. But it's, um, it's, it's so fascinating to think about Sienna because, like, she has so much more, I think, like, self possession and self-assuredness than almost any other character because like she really doesn't let anthony take her for a ride right as much as like she's like like dependent on him like whisking her away or whatever i I don't think she has any fantasies about that 
or I mean, if she, or if she did, then at least towards the end of these episodes, like she, you know, doesn't delude herself of that anymore. Um, and so I, I, I think like she's she became like my favorite character over these four episodes just because like I'm really right. admiring her arc of just realizing that like hey this like rich guy is like not going to come through for me in any way. I love the conversation she has with Sophie mm-hmm. the modiste who, you know, they're talking about how. Sophie says something like, oh, Sienna's admiring one of the dresses Sophie's making, and she says, not even my finest silk will compensate for that sneer, and she's talking about (laughs) Cresta, right? (laughs) Um, Which is great. And then she says something like, you and I make our own way in the world, and they are, yeah, they are the only women who really get to do that in this show. And again, I think we have to talk about, like, they're lower class than the Bridgertons, but they're not that low class, right? (laughs) Like, they're not, these are not the rural poor or factory workers or anything like that but they yeah so watching them make the choices they get to make and and how they choose to live is is quite liberating and we'll see more of that in episodes to come as by well. the way i do want to uh note here that uh beth is calling the modiste sophie because i told her with full confidence that that's the name of the modiste but um it turns out that i was actually thinking about who benedict ends up with in the books and so i might <laughs> have misled her with supreme confidence so uh perhaps the modi's name is jean Vive, actually um i don't i don't remember uh sorry beth <laughs> <That's okay. laughs> this is what happens right, when Genevieve. you've read the books and then you read the series your brain just like fills in the blanks it's okay i cannot tell any of these british and boys apart and i did not know they were <laughs> It took me it took it's me three awful. episodes to figure out there's yes. actually like multiple Bridgerton brothers. <laughs> same. Exactly the same. I was actually thrown aback by just how baby Colin is in this uh in the scene. Such a baby. You know. Um and I guess that works in terms of storytelling as we will discuss later on, but uh yeah. Um, so Manish, at this point in the series, are you regretting all your choices? Are you mad at me for making you watch this? No, because I think it's a very it's a well made show. Um, I like episode four ends at on a point where I was like, oh man, I actually have to watch the because oh, my plan was just to watch these four episodes and have to do the podcast and then like I because. My thing is, like, whenever shows like this go really viral on Netflix, like, it piques my interest, but then also I'm, like, I was, like, I don't want to be the one that's, like, watching Bridgerton, like, two weeks later than everyone else. So I was, like, you know, like, it becomes this, like, point of pride where, like, I don't want to be someone that's, like, okay, I'll follow the hype and watch Bridgerton after every, like, I want to be on, like, the the front end of it and be, like, guys, you have to watch it. So I was going to wait a few months before to get cool again. Um... But I think now, like, with the episode four cliffhanger, I'm like, okay, I'm kind of, I'm kind of invested. I think I'll have to watch it over the next week. So I don't regret it, but I do regret having to swallow my pride and watching a popular show. (laughs) And on that note, uh, we will bring this episode to a close. Join us next time as we talk about episode four. Um, Manish, where can people find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at themanish89. That's T-H-E-M-A-N-I-S-H-89. 
Also, my two podcasts, It Pod to Be You, um, which you find that on Twitter at It Pod to Be You. And I also co host a podcast with Dave Giannini called Queer Now, which is about queer cinema, and that you can find uh, at Queer Now Pod. I think both of those should be wherever you get your podcasts. Great. And Beth? I'm at Beth Loves Bali on Twitter, and I have to say those are two of the best podcast names I've ever oh, heard. Oh, thank you. <laughs> They're also, in addition to being cleverly named, they're also like two of the f- most fun podcasts oh, out you. there. I and that. I encourage everyone to listen to it. Um, my name is Amrita. You can find me on YouTube at Amrita by the book or on Twitter at Amrita IQ. I also co-host the Khandan podcast where both Manish and Beth have guest hosted. Uh, thank you both very much. And we will see you next time for more Binging Bridgerton.